Well, this is the last week in the Invite series, uh, actually leading up into our Easter season, the Lenten season. I know you're aware of that. I want to remind you as well that you should have seen when you arrived, uh, sitting in the pews, a booklet, Touchstones of Faith. It's a journey through Lent. The actual readings begin this Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday. Join us at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night for the Ash Wednesday worship service, a really big part of our life of our church and our Easter season, our Lent season, and we always have a lot of people come to that. But again, pick a book up and walk with us day by day, beginning Ash Wednesday uh, through the end of the season to the celebration of Easter. This is an in-house production. Uh, this is our church family put it together. Uh, leaders here have done that, so I know you're, you'll make a maybe more personal connection with it knowing that, so I wanted to make sure you were aware of that today. Now, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless us in this uh, special day as we talk about the invitation, what it means to invite others to church, to faith, what it means, God, to know that we have been and were invited. Make it so, God, by your grace at work in all of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, uh, I got an invitation in the mail. We get many invitations, my wife and I, to all kinds of events and activities, as you might imagine. This was very, relatively unusual. It was the event, uh, it was the uh, invitation to the inauguration of the governor of Texas in Austin uh, in January. I wondered why I got that. How many, anybody else in here get, get that invitation? A few did. There are a few in our church who received that. It wasn't like we were the only ones. And I wondered why we were invited, and I, and I realized a few months, a few, about a year or so ago, I went to an event for pastors who got to meet some candidates running for governor. Because we were there, my name was on the list, I think that's why I was invited. Now, I looked at the invitation, a number of things to be aware of. One is that there's going to be singing that day, special, uh, you know, musicians there. And I pronounced this wrong at 8.15, I said, it's Lady Antibellum. Uh, it's Lady <laughs> Antebellum, evidently. And I wondered, you know, is it a lady or is it a female singer? Exactly what is That's actually a group, two men and a woman, I understand. I didn't even know that. Uh, I should know that. My daughter, my daughter likes them, I understand. Pat Green was going to sing as well. I don't know who Pat Green is. Uh, Pat Green, any Pat Green fans here? A few Pat Green fans. I should know that. I know I don't. I know who Miley Cyrus is. I should know who Antebellum is. Uh, That's funny to me. Uh, Four tons of brisket were going to be served. A lot of brisket. It's Texas, of course. And we had to pay for the meal, by the way, for that inauguration celebration. Now, I did not go. In fact, uh, sometime later, I told Rhonda we had been invited to the uh, inauguration. I don't think she was that worried that we did not go. Thought about why I did not go, and it re- I realized it's because, well, there's nothing to gain and no benefit to give. I couldn't see any reason why we should go other than to say we were at the inauguration. And I asked you the question, what makes you accept or ignore an invitation? Why do you accept some? Ignore others. The message title today is Invest and Invite. Invest in people and then you invite them. It doesn't work the other way around. You start with investing in people's lives, your family, your neighbors, community, world, in all kinds of ways. Then the invitation flows from that. A very simple message. You heard the scripture verses read a while ago. It's an amazing story of a dream the Apostle Paul receives. The book of Acts records that. Uh, His ministry had been very active in the area of Asia Minor, now called Turkey. And he'd begun churches there, shared Christ there, brought brought people to faith there. But he'd not not adventured beyond Asia Minor and gone into Greece or modern-day Europe. Hadn't done that at all. And he has a dream. 
there in that dream, uh, a man from Greece says, it's also called a vision, come help us. And he's going to respond to that. I'll say more about that in a little bit. First, I want to tell you a little bit about the world that dream came from, that vision came from, where the church was born in the first century. First, it was a crazy place, kind of crazy world now, isn't it? There were gladiators. That was part of the life of many people to be entertained by them. There were arenas. They would go. There were also chariot races. Maybe one of the highest things you could go to was the chariot races. In those. That was their version of Super Bowl was chariot races. They all had the drivers they rooted for and supported. They all had the horses they liked, and they wanted them to win. They also bet money on those races. Entertainment was a huge, huge part of that culture. In fact, if, in a very real way, their lives revolved around being entertained by the gladiators, by the chariot races, by artists and musicians and, and shows and, and theater shows and actors and that kind of thing. That's what they did. Commerce was very involved. Uh, they had a very really capitalistic society, capitalistic type society of buying and selling, made products, sold products, made a living that way. They also had kind of social stuff. The government would give people money as well. That's part of their world, something like ours as well. In fact, we're told in Athens, one of the cities of Greece, uh, there was a God on every street corner, the Apostle Paul says. Some gods were to the unknown God in case we miss one. There were so many gods, it took every corner to cover all the gods that they worshipped in the world they lived in. Again, even the unknown God gods, just in case. Syncretism was a very popular way to worship. That means they combined the gods. They might even bring in the Jewish one god into the gods that they served as well. So they combined magic, magic uh, charms and oracles and the gods of the world all together in all kinds of systems of worship, economics, and a way of life. They were big into hero worship in that culture. That hero might be the Caesar who became a god, or the gladiator who won in the arena, or a political figure, and they worshiped these heroes. Sometimes, literally, they worshiped them, made sacrifices to them, and burned incense to these heroes of their world and their culture. One third of the population were slaves, and sometimes the slaves had it better than the poor in that world. There were a small number who were very wealthy. Uh, more uh, poor, more slaves, and a relatively large number of middle class in that Roman world for a few years. There were constant wars on the borders. That was continual for them. They lived with the idea wars were happening, and that was the way they understood life was. The empire was very divided politically, uh, religiously, and racially for all kinds of reasons, uh, and it was also in, and there's much history speaks of this, deep spiritual poverty, a culture of violence and immorality, simply the way that it was. Deep spiritual poverty and a culture of violence and immorality, pervasive in that first century, especially in Greece, the Roman Empire, and the Roman world, all the way into Rome and, and Italy and, and what it is today. Sound familiar? You might take different titles or names or concepts, but really it doesn't sound that much different than the world you and I live in. And in that spiritual, immoral vacuum, a voice comes to Paul in a vision. And he says, come, help us. Acts 16, 9b. Come over 
to Macedonia and help us. And the world is never going to be the same because he's going to respond to that. Here's a thought that I had in preparing for the sermon. If we can plane less and listen more, everything would be different for all of us. It's so easy for me to point out the flaws of the Roman world. They were everywhere. I can point out the flaws of my world, and you can too, probably better than I can. We know what those are. We see them everywhere, all around us, all the time. What point is it complaining about it? But can I listen to those who call from it saying, come help us. Come help me. Come tell me the story of grace, which is the next series beginning uh, this coming weekend. Come do that for me. And so Paul has that. He hears that and he responds. And he makes his way from Asia Minor, which was a huge journey in those years, to go to Greece, across the straits, make his way to Greece. Story tells us what that was like and how we got there. And then we're told on the Sabbath morning, he got up and went down to the river in Philippi where he supposed there might be some people praying there. And when he got down there, he, he joined them and he simply began talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us. Uh, he he, he lived, in, lived in Jerusalem, crucified by sinners. He, he was raised from the dead and he'll save anybody who will come to him. And he told that story. And we're told that Lydia who became the first convert to Christ in all of Europe, became a Christian that morning, that Sabbath morning. As Paul lived life with those who were living life at the riverside, as he invested in them there at the place they lived every day, the normal humdrum routines of life were intersected by the man named Paul who, saw, who heard the call, saw the need, and went down there and invested in them. And there were many who became Christians that day. And some did not. Some said, well, hear you later. Some said, maybe never later. But the world was never going to be the same. That's the beginning today to hear this story. Living life. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Acts 16, verse 9b. Now we want to talk about, I think, how Jesus Christ intersects with this same idea of investing and inviting. It was the best out of anyone. He told a story, actually three stories, story about a lost coin, about a lost sheep, and also about a lost son, the prodigal son. You see that up on the screen before you. Uh, and he talked about the one who lost a coin, even though she had many, she did all she could to find the one she lost, sweeping the entire house till I find that coin. Talked about the shepherd who, who lost one sheep out of a hundred. He went looking for the one that was lost. And of course, the father who lost his son, the prodigal son returned home. He embraced him, said, welcome home, son. And so he came. Uh, who decides the worth and value of something? Who does that? We do. We decide this person, that person, that person is important. She's a lost coin. He's a lost sheep. They're lost sons and daughters. And God calls us to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ as a church. And the Bible speaks of that in many, many ways, shapes, and forms. The invitation and a dream and a, and, a, and, a, and a vision. When you read more about Jesus Christ, you discover that Jesus was very attractive to people. And he was attractive especially to people who were hurting, broken, and lost, and especially non-religious people. 
that as he finds his way down there, Paul talks about this Jesus. When he describes him, he says, hey, I want to hear more about that guy. They already knew about all kinds of other gods. They knew about the Jewish God. But this is Jesus. He's different as he talks about love and grace and the beatitudes and the truth of Christ. And certainly when Christ walked around this earth, he drew non-religious people to him. They wanted to hear what this one man had to say. He spoke differently. Jesus was very attractive to non-religious people, meaning the lost, broken, hurting, needy, sinners, and all of us who come to Christ in a very real way of faith. I want you to imagine with me as we think how we intersect with this ourselves, how does it work for you and me? It's one thing to have a sermon that has ideas and thoughts and biblical teaching. Well, what do I do with that? Where do I take it? Today I'm wearing a shirt that, that Rhonda helped me pick out last night, and it's, my wife's name is Rhonda if you don't know her, and it's a red shirt, very nice for Valentine's Day as you see. I would recommend not wearing this shirt at Target, <laughs> especially with a name tag of any sort. You'll be very busy and very distracted by folks who look for the red shirt to ask questions to. Where is this? Where is that? How much does it cost? Recommend even more heartily, don't wear a blue shirt at Walmart with a name tag. You'll be even busier there. You might even have a complaint or two come your way if you try that in your life. You might even consider wearing a name tag like our pastors and staff here do going into town, a name tag that has a cross and flame on it with our name on it and our role at the church and we're Christians, and we believe, and we're church staff members, and you wear a name tag, or our late chaplains, or our Stephen minister, any of you as ushers and greeters. Do you, do you wear your name tags to your greeter when you wear it to do you take it to lunch, where it says that to you? How striking is that? I think about it when I wear my name tag. It crosses my mind, maybe I should take this off. What if? You know, it's a demanding thing. It brings something into my life that would not be there. I interact with people in a very different way. They interact with me in a very different way when I'm wearing a name tag or a God is big enough wristband or anything that claims that makes us that makes a claim that I am a Christian. Think about what Paul did that day walking down to a river in his very uh, in his in his ordinary clothes, but a very extraordinary person, as he talked about Jesus, God's Son, crucified for the sins of the world and raised from the dead for us to give us life. That's the gospel they preached then. That's the gospel he preached there at that riverside. And again, how things change so much. There are a number of things that I think come out of this text you need to hear and I want to share with you. Very quickly, we'll walk through them together as we think about how we, again, intersect with these verses and apply them to our own invest, invite journey, which should be for all Christians. Firstly, it's make yourself or making yourself available to God. Paul was already available to God. It wasn't something he had to make happen. He already said, I'm available. I'm available, Lord. Already been serving and giving and doing things in the church. And so as an available person, he heard this call and he responded to it and made his way to uh, the riverside there in Philippi to share the good news. We must see the need and see ourselves as the answer. Please hear that. We must be available. We must see the need and realize that I am the answer for that need. Not my church, not my pastor, not someone else. Me. I am the one God put here to make a difference in the life of this person or this family or my own family member, my neighbor, whoever it might be. 
Let's see ourselves that way first and foremost. Secondly, must also be giving God a chance to speak surprises to us. And this is where we have a hard time. Now, life for all people is about habit. We have habits that we create that guide our life every day. We often expect each day to go like the next. I'm going to get up, I'm going to eat, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to come home, I'm going to watch TV, may go out, may not, I'm going to take it, go to bed, and do it again tomorrow. And here's the people I'm going to interact with each day. You know, my spouse, maybe my kids, maybe somebody, these people I work with mostly, maybe, maybe somewhere at the convenience store, I don't know, that's what I'm going to do. And we know that. And I know that about us because most of you, and this is an illustration, but most of you are sitting where you usually sit. Now, a few may have journeyed some other place. This is an illustration. I'm happy for you to sit anywhere you want to. I'm not telling you where to sit. I just want you to think about how we do that now. I do. My wife and I do. We walk into a new church or for, uh, on vacation or a service that we attend sometime when I'm not the preacher, and we sit kind of the same general area we usually sit because it's just it's no stress. There's no surprises. Don't have to make a decision. It's a pattern we walk kind of without having to focus at all. We naturally do that. It's, not, it's unnatural to look for surprises and let God speak surprises to us. It's natural to have this person say, come help us. And we're already listening. We say, okay, I'm going to go to Greece. I live my entire, most all of my life in this area and further down south and there around Jerusalem and Israel. Give God a chance to speak surprises to you. Thirdly, be willing to change course. Be willing to change course in our lives. Uh, I uh, was invited a number of years ago to go out to, uh, to lunch with a man in our church, Commander John Carl, a uh, retired commander in the, in the Navy. One of the reasons he wanted to do that was I'd been in the Navy as well, and he actually flew a jet that I had worked on when I was enlisted in the Navy. And so that was kind of cool that we could talk about that aircraft a little bit. Probably nobody else in his world could, but I could. I know something about that plane. Didn't fly it. I worked on it, but we have that in common. And he had a car with uh, what I'd never seen before. It had a big box coming up the pole from the floorboard. Uh, and the pole, he told me, was actually wired into the drivetrain of the car so it could see how fast the car was going. Uh, and it had a screen on it. And he told me, this is a GPS. And I said, what's a GPS? And he said, well, it does this. It can tell you where you are anywhere. How does it do that? He said, let me show you. So we went out and looked in the trunk. There was a computer in the trunk about this big black sitting in the trunk, wired into the GPS. And on his car roof, there was a black kind of dot about that big wired into the GPS. He said, that connects with satellites. Tells us where we are all the time. That's the coolest thing I ever saw. Uh, and so uh, the next week or so, he called me and said, Pastor Mike, I want you to go so-and-so place. They're going to put one in your car. I don't really need one, but you do. And so I got my first GPS. Of course, now I use my phone most of the time to do it. Kind of unique, but, but being able to know that was huge. Uh, but, but we must be willing to change course. Change course. Our course usually is this. Please hear me. Our course usually is, without us thinking, it's kind of automatic, it's kind of human and natural. Our course usually is what benefits me the most. Just how we live. And that has to happen. It's lunchtime. I'm, I'm hungry. It's how we live. 
I've got to go to work. Somebody's got to pay the bills. I'm going to go to work. You know, this person is really, I really like them. They're, they're funny and they kind of liven my day up a little bit. I'm going to go visit with them. Now, over there, not that person. They, they don't do that. You know, we do what benefits us. Uh, and a shift in course is sometimes to someone else, somewhere else, something else, to where we can experience God's work in our life and hear the person say, come help me, willing to change course. Well, number four here is, Opening eyes and heart to a not yet known world. Open our eyes, by the way, this keeps us young and vital as well to be able to do this, but open our eyes and hearts to a not yet known world. Now, Jesus was a master at this. You know, he, he would walk down the, the street and see a, a, a tax collector who everybody else hated sitting in a tree and say, I see you up there, bud. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus knew how to do that. He could see the most insignificant woman in the world, and she was the woman at the well because she was ostracized by her family, her society, her town, uh, the religion around her, the Roman world beyond that. There was no one that saw her as anything but insignificant, and that was the woman at the well. He says, hey, if you ask me, I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again. And they had a conversation there at the well. This rabbi, son of God, Messiah, Savior, talking to the most insignificant woman in the world. And there she was, speaking to her. We have blind Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. I want to see. He'd been passed by thousands of people all day, every day, all of his life. And this is the first person to stop and probably talk to him. He might have got occasional awe, a little donation, but, but never someone saying, I can make you where you can see. He was, Jesus was mad. And, and he saw really what for many was just scenery on the Sea of Galilee. The scenery of, of the trees and the palm trees and the grass and the fields and the beautiful mountains behind the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place to see, to see all that there. But also in those days, the sea would be covered with fishermen in very small boats throwing their nets. Just part of the scenery. And he saw Peter and James and John and Andrew and said, come follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. And so they did, opening eyes and heart to a not yet known world. Fifth one here is the same journey, which is what Paul did. We're called upon to do as well, accepting responsibility to get involved. That's my job to be involved. Not the pastor's job, not somebody else's job, not somehow it's going to happen by accident or just, just some way God's going to do it. No, I'm the one God's called to. And when God wanted people in Greece to know who he was, he sent Paul. Sent Paul to do that, and Paul went, <laughs> and he didn't go alone. He took others with him. And again, the world was never the same in Europe. It became the center of Christianity for thousands of years after that, for, for 1,500, 1,800 years after that. And finally, it's as easy as making the decision. It's as easy as making the decision that I'm going to be that person. I'm going to change that course. I'm, I'm going to be available. I'll let God speak surprises to me. I'm going to be willing to change course. I'm going to look at a world I don't know yet. It's out there. I'm going to set responsibility and be involved, and I'm going to make a decision, and we're going, to, we're going to give you really a road to do that today that I think is a really cool thing to do. And I put that up on the screen for you to see. We have a card that we have available today for you. It says on the front, a story of grace, which is next week's and through Easter, the message series. We had a team return from Rwanda with all kinds of, of pictures and videos they're going to put together that simply tell stories of how God works in people's lives. 
in the orphans there, the leaders there, the entire country. Works in our lives as we intersect with it as well. And I've been a number of times, so Pastor David went this time, and others on our staff went as well, and some of our volunteers went also in that. And we're going to tell those stories around Easter and Lent and reconciliation, redemption, restoration, salvation. Same thing Paul did there, interacting, living life where Christ is among us where we live life. On the back of the card it says, I would love for you to hear a story of grace. I'll save you a seat at First Methodist Mansfield. And here it has the times of the services, all, all of our services, all the Sunday morning, five services, Sunday night, Saturday night as well. And you can give this to someone. They're on the altar for you to see. Uh, these baskets are full of these cards. When you leave today, uh, our ushers are going to come in in a minute and pick these cards up. They're going to take them out to the exits. So as you leave, these center three doors, I think there's some back here as well, heading out these doors if you head this way, they will have these cards available. Pick one up. And who are you going to give it to? You know, it might be uh, making yourself available to someone might be a surprise to them and you. It might be a change of course for you in your life. It might be a, a not yet known part of your experience. It might be certainly deciding to get involved and it certainly is making a decision. What we're going to do now is pray for these cards and those who might receive them and those who give them and know when you leave, please take one with you. I hope to see that those, some of those people back in church with us next weekend for our Story of Grace message series that begins then in the Lenten season. Will you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these cards, those who dreamed them up, those who thought about the right words and prayed about those words, those who put the design together, those who put the, the times and, and, and ideas in one place and, and how we now have it in front of us, laying on our altar, God. An invitation to someone, to someone who need your love and grace. We pray, God, you'll bless the card, those who receive them and those who give them. May truly in this time of hearing you speak to us and through us, may others come to know you and come to our church to know more about you. And we come today to celebrate your story of grace in our own lives. So bless them, those who receive and those who give. In Jesus' name, amen.